Okay, so um, welcome back to uh, Thursdays at noon. Uh, I'm going to start pretty quick here. Uh, I want to get through all we got and not have to rush. Uh, so if you have your Bible, we're going to be doing 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 6, and then we will uh, pray, and we'll start. So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we, we look to the example of Christ who suffered in our place. Um, God, we see that he suffered in our place for us, uh, for the debt that we, that we owed, um, and that he suffered with, for us as an example to follow. God, may we arm ourselves in the same way of thinking and count uh, obedience to you um, as greater treasure uh, than sin. Uh, help us to remain obedient. Help us to pursue, to endure, and to be faithful to the end. God, we know that you will keep us and you call us to come to you. And here's in your sins that we pray. Amen. Okay, I want to start uh, kind of a little different. I want to read you a, a verse that's not in this and then give you an uh, example why. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 1.18, a very well-known verse, especially with regards to like evangelism and ministry in general. Uh, Paul writes this, uh, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. So essentially what it's saying is the message of the cross, so that Jesus died for sinners, uh, that we are sinners, that we need someone to die for, to take away our sin, that Jesus is that answer. Um, that Jesus is better than sin, that he is good, that he is God, all those things, um, naturally to, the, to the, the natural man, the person who's not a Christian in the world, uh, it's foolish, it's weird, and it doesn't make any sense, it's worth mocking. Um, so Christians are seen as foolish to the world. Uh, we are called to abstain uh, from sinful desires we have in our flesh, um, to turn from the ways of the world, and in the end we're all going to end up six feet underground, so why would you do that? That's, that's the thinking that this verse is trying to uh, flesh out. Um, so it seems like the Christian is blind to fun or to joy or to pleasure, uh, but actually quite the opposite according to the Bible. Um, Christians actually see that the world um, is actually empty deceit. That it's, it's not that these things may not be good in themselves, but we see them as they're deceitful. They look good, they appear to be good, uh, but they're not worth pursuing uh, because Christ is far better uh, so as we walk, um, we are looked really as, again, kind of idiotic, like we're wasting our time. Uh, we don't give into the natural lust that we have within ourselves. We go the opposite direction of the world, and in the final day, we do it all for the reward of obedience. That's We do because we want Christ. That's the point. So we said before this, um, if you remember in the very first, the very, very first one we did of First Peter chapter 1, um, Peter says this, and this is, this is important. 
um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, so to the Christians, of and uh, listen to these cities. I, I'm pointing this out for a reason. To the elect exiles of a dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I think I said that right. Um, I want to read you a letter from a, a guy named Pliny the Younger. Uh, so if you want a good name for your child, Pliny, it's probably not taken, so you got a good shot. Um, but he was the governor in the second century of Pontus and Bithynia. So those are two cities that Peter wrote to in the first century. He was the governor in the second century, about 110 AD. So right along this time frame. And he wrote a letter to the emperor uh, about Christians that had to deal with them. It's, 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 a, it's a kind of a small paragraph, so let me read it to you. Um, here's what he says. They, the, the Christians, asserted that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and seeing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God, to bind themselves by oath, not to, not to some crime, not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not to falsify their trust, not to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary innocent food. Even this they affirmed they had ceased to do after my edict, by which, in accordance with your instructions, so the emperor's instructions, I had forbidden political association. And this is the part that's interesting. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves. So he tortures two women to find out why they're doing this, why they're meeting. I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. And this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but also to villages and farms. So if you catch them, I think you, you can sense a tone there. These Christians are weird. They, they meet in the morning, they pray, they sing a hymn to Jesus as if he's some kind of God. They can't, do, they can't lie, they can't do certain things. And it's this depraved superstition. It's excessive. It's, it's too much. Like you, you have to do all that. It's, it's idiotic according to this governor. I think that's, you can easily sense that. So that's, that's the world that these Christians were in, that Peter wrote to. They were looked upon as foolish, as wasting their time. And it's kind of how we live in the world now. I don't think we're going to get tortured for being a Christian, at least maybe not yet. But we do look like we're wasting our time, like it's excessive, it's too much. And Peter's going to show us that as, as a Christian, because of what Jesus did, uh, there's three things in, in particular that our viewing or our relationship is different uh, with these things. The three things are your flesh, which I'll, I'll cover that a little more in depth, uh, your flesh, the world, and eternity. So the Christian is now, they've changed their direction with those things. They've changed their relationship, their uh, maybe affection is a good way to put it. They, they've changed with those things, with the flesh, uh, the world, and eternity. And that's what we're going to cover. Um, so in Christ, uh, we have a new, a new desire, and that goes with our flesh first. So first, uh, first verse says this, Since therefore, so Peter's covered Jesus' sufferings on the cross, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Uh, before we jump, I want to uh, give you an English class lesson, if I can do that. Um, there's some words in English that we know that are spelt the exact same. They sound the exact same, but they mean different things in different contexts. Um, I had to look it up. I didn't know this. They're called homophones or homographs. That means same sound, same spelling. Uh, a good example is, is the word fair. So F-A-I-R. It can mean like reasonable, like, oh, that's a fair decision. 
It can mean the county fair, like one that's down the street maybe, or it can mean, oh, well, that's very fair, like that's, that's attractive, right? We can work that way. So same with the word flesh in the Bible. Uh, the word flesh can mean your physical skin, so your actual body that you're living in that you can touch, you can feel, you can see, or it can mean your sinful desires that come within you. And in this text, Peter uses that, the word flesh, he kind of interchanges it both, so I want us to understand uh, the difference there. So the first use is this. So if it says this, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, so Jesus suffered in the physical body, so his actual skin, his actual uh, physical human body, um, Peter's just reminding us back, Jesus suffered in the flesh. He actually did suffer. The God man actually did hurt and die. Um, he bore our sins. He carried our sins, took our sins on himself uh, in our place for our penalty. And so Peter's saying, since he did that, apply this to your life. And so he's saying, this is a very, Peter's giving me this, this sermon. This is easy. And he, he, he tells you what to preach. So he says, because Jesus did that, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. So we are called to equip, to arm yourself, to prepare, to, to take up for war with the same way of thinking that Jesus had when he suffered. So the question is, what was Jesus' mind like? How did, how did Jesus think in regards to suffering? How did he um, understand things? And Philippians chapter 2 says it this way. This is probably the most wonderful verse, a uh, few verses about what Jesus did and what he had to do. I want to read it to you. Uh, here's what it says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So here, have the mind of Christ, who though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So it looks like in this text, what Paul is trying to say, communicate, is Jesus saw that obedience to the point of death is better than giving in to temptation. So obedience to God is better. So in regards to suffering, obedience is better. If suffering brings obedience, I gotta be obedient. So Jesus' thought was obedience is better. To God's will, it is better. Um, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. So he saw the cross, he knew he had endured. He says, obedience is better. I have to go through with this. I can't. I think that Paul is trying to communicate very, very clearly there. So Jesus showed us that obedience is better, that there is a kind of being that's hard, but it's good. Um, in the garden, we see him pray, you know, not my will, but Father, your will be done. So in a sense, Jesus was, this is a weighty task, but what's better is not my will, your, your will is just better. That's what Jesus prayed and we see that in his obedience on the cross. Uh, I think another text that kind of gives you more language, more uh, vocabulary in this area, is Hebrews 12, 2. It says, Jesus, who the, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So again, Jesus, for the joy, he endured the cross, despised the shame. So obedience and joy is better than the shame of the cross. It's better to endure. It's better to embrace obedience um, in suffering. That's a, that, I, think, I think that's the mind of Christ. I think that's what Peter wants us to have. It's a very radical way of thinking. It's very upside down. It's very counter what we, what we think. So the logic is, since Jesus suffered, and count that as obedience being better than giving in to sin, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. So when Jesus suffered on the cross, we're not going to suffer in the same way. Um, I'm not going to die in the place of sinners. I'm not going to suffer in the same way he did. So it's the thinking Jesus had that's important. And here's what Peter writes after that. So arm yourselves with the same way of thinking because for 
Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So just as Jesus died in his physical body, uh, we too are to suffer or to die in our physical body. But what does that mean? Again, I think the word flesh here is interchanged again. Um, the word flesh here means, yes, our physical body, but also our sinful passion, our sinful nature. Because Peter's not saying, hey, since he died, would you and die too? That's not what he's saying. He's, and it, we, we know that by verse 2, but we'll get there. But he's saying, think the same way. Die to yourself. Be obedient. Trust Christ. Be obedient. And I think Paul says it well again. I think Peter and Paul, they, they just the Bible is inspired. They do it so well. They always speak of each other very well. Uh, Paul says this in Romans chapter 6. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Then verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So again, it's not that you're actually but dead, but you're counting yourself as if you were dead to sin in Christ. So we have turned, so repentance is turning from your sin, trusting in Christ, um, giving your sin debt to him, and also living in such a way that he is better than sin. That's what Peter's calling to say. That's the way of thinking that Jesus had, that obedience is better than sin, that it, sin just looks, it, it looks attractive, it really does, but obedience is better. That's what, Jesus, that's what Peter's trying to communicate. That's the mind that Christ had. Um, now, if you notice the word, it says ceased from sin. Uh, we need to be careful with that. Um, Christians are not going to be perfect. Uh, so when you're saved, you're not going to. It's not that you're not going to sin ever again. Uh, it's been said before, Christians won't be won't be sinless, but they will sin less. Right? That's that. That's the simple thing. So that you're, you're going to be perfect, but you're going to you're going to be getting close. You're going to be striving to be perfect. Right? So sin less, not sinless. Uh, if you can if you can understand that word there. Um, so that's the Christian life is you're going to sin less because you have the mind of Christ. Um, so you exchange this life, you exchange the flesh for Christ, um, you've returned from your sin, trust in Christ. And verse 2 says, why? So, as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh. So again, the word flesh is used. No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So again, now it's saying your physical body. So now the rest of your life is going to be portrayed by living your physical body for, not for yourself, but for the will of God. So this is, this is a daily thing. It's a daily understanding that Christ is better, that there's joy and obedience, that it's not a kicking, frustrated obedience. There's actually joy and obedience. Christ is better, is what Peter's trying to say. So how does that happen? That's only, it's, that can only happen if we are dead to sin and alive to God. Uh, so prior to being saved, being a Christian... Um, you are actually awakened, you're alive to sin, you see it, you want it, and you go for it. But the Christian is now different. You are dead to sin, you don't want to see those things, you're alive to God, you see God, you want Him. That's the contrast. Uh, so dead is, I think a good way to put it, is unresponsive. So Christian, you should be unresponsive to sin, you should respond to it, you should respond to Christ. Right? That's what Peter's trying to say. But yet we still battle with our flesh daily because we're in, again, we're in our body. We're still in the fleshly body that has a sin nature that wants to sin. So you're still in that body. You're still going to sin. But we've been born again. The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, says that God, God's mercy has caused us to be born again. So it's only in God's mercy can we be born again. It's by His power. It's by His mercy that we are now dead to sin and alive to God, and no longer dead to God and alive to sin. There's a change there. So, brethren and sisters in Christ, you're free from your sin. You don't have to live in your sin. You can run from it. You can finally escape it. You have the ability and the desire to say, I don't want to sin. I don't want that bait. I want Christ. 
I want better pleasures. I want Christ. And I want to give you another definition here. I think we, we just throw this word around a lot, or the phrase. Uh, Peter says, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So we always say, oh, live for God's will. Well, if, if God wills. Um, I want to go too deep into that. But uh, in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 17, Peter said, if the Lord wills. And now he's saying the will of God. So if God wills, the will of God so what does that mean? What, what is the will of God? What's it mean if God wills? Again, without going super deep, there's a difference. Uh, it's kind of like the, the context. How's, how's the word used is what uh, determines what it means. So there's what uh, pastors and theologians will call uh, the secret or the sovereign uh, will of God. And then the, the other one is called the moral or the revealed will of God. I think a really helpful way for just your average Christian like myself to kind of remember it is... God's sovereign will is what shall happen, and God's revealed will is, is what will happen, or should happen, right? So um, God's sovereign will is what's going to happen. Over happens because God will it to be. There's nothing that happens that God didn't say, oh, how'd that come across? God wills all things to happen. Um, it's what's going to happen, but we, we don't know what's going to happen because we're not God. But what should happen is what he's shown us in his word. That's his revealed will. That's his moral will. Um, that's what you should do, so you shouldn't lie. You should commit adultery. You should rejoice in all things. This is what's revealed to us. So as Christians, Peter's saying, no longer live for what you see as good, but live as what God has revealed as good, which is his will, which is in his word. So we are now able and willing to see God's law, not as burdensome, not as crushing, not as unattractive, but as sweet like honey, as the Bible says, as beautiful, as good, as life-giving. That's, that's the joy the Christian has. And again, I think it's important to know that Peter does say to arm yourself with the way you're thinking. So in, in Christ, you've, you've been given the mind of Christ, so it's granted to you, but also you have to arm yourself with that mind. So it's God's gift, but your responsibility. So we're not just going to let God make us obedient. We're going to want to be obedient. So there is the, the side that you have to respond. You have to be responsible. And last, uh, last description on this, I think this is the most helpful verse on the Bible, in the Bible, about um, how we can think about this and how we can understand uh, the will of God being better. Uh, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, uh, in case you didn't know. So if you look at the New Testament, a lot of times they go back to the Old Testament and they say, hey, this is what this means, actually. This is what this means. And God is very kind to give us that. Uh, and if you look at the, the person of Moses, in Hebrews chapter 11, they, it describes Moses' life. Uh, Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household, so he was the king's son, basically, right? Because he was adopted to the family, right? So he had, he was a right-hand man. He, he could have been the next leader. Um, and I did a little bit of uh, research. Um, the Pharaoh was counted as God in Egypt. So that means that everything you owned, he actually owned. So yes, you, you had a bed, but it was actually his bed. If you wanted, he could take it from you. Uh, if you owned crops, they're actually his crops. If you owned money, it was actually his money. He just was gloating out to you. So he was, he was authoritative. So Moses was going to get all that as being the son of Pharaoh. But here's what uh, Hebrews 11 says. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses chose mistreatment 
uh, understanding in a comfy house. That's, that's doesn't make any sense to the world. Why would you leave being a king's son? To get mistreated? Moses, what, what, what are you thinking? Now, he left the inheritance that he was going to get to go to Christ, to the reward that Christ offered of being obedient to God. So when we understand as a Christian, we're called to look to the pleasure of, the, of our sins, look what, what we, we can have, and look to the, the greater wealth that's offered in Christ. That's, that's what we look to. We look to the fleeting pleasures of sin and say that they're fleeting. It's like vapor. They're here and they're gone. They last for a second and they're gone. And that there's greater wealth in Christ. And it says here that he considered it. So he had to think. He had to say, okay, there's, I have to, I, I, he had to actually think and arm himself. He had to consider it. We too must consider Christ greater wealth than the fleeting pleasures of sin. So Christian, count yourself dead to sin and alive to the greater wealth that is the will of God and suffering for His Son. Obedience to God, whether it means in your house all alone and you're saying no to your own sin, or it means how you speak to your spouse when you're frustrated in a moment of frustration, or how you share the gospel and your fear to not do so. The reproach, the shame that being a Christian offers because of, of who you're re- representing to the world is better, vastly better, it's greater wealth than the fleeting pleasure of sin. That's what Peter's trying to make so clear that we need to understand. So that's, that's the identity between Christians have between ourselves and our flesh, Christ and the flesh. And now Peter's going to take us to something that's even more different, so the world. So how do we see the world? How, how do we understand how to interact, how to think, how to see the world and see, and see the sin and the way of the world? Uh, verse 3, Peter says this, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Peter's name is a whole slew of things. Uh, maybe you've heard the phrase, um, like, go with the flow, follow the crowd. It's kind of a popular saying. I think we, we know what that means. Um, it means what the world does. right? So just go with it. I just, just walk in. If you've if you ever gone online and, like, YouTube or Googled um, social experiments, they'll do things that um, when the crowd does something, they'll have a target they're trying to tell, like a subject. The subject always follows the crowd. They always say, well, they're doing it, so I'll do it too. So what Peter's trying to say, this next part, is a Christian, you don't follow the crowd. You're different. You're, you're not in the world. You're, you're different. Um, Ephesians 2 says it this way. It says that when, when we are dead in our sins, when we are unresponsive to God because of our sin, because of our nature, it says this, we follow the course of the world, the, following the prince of the power of the air. So before you're a Christian... Uh, it then goes on to say that you're following your own passions of the, mo- of the body and mind like the rest of mankind. So all of the world follows their passions. They all do the same thing. They walk the same way, talk the same way, act the same way, think the same way. And then in, in Ephesians 2 it says, But God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. So again, it's back to God's mercy making you alive. That, that he, he caused you to be born again. So Christian, if you've been, if been, if you've been a, made alive in Christ, if you're a Christian, uh, you're not called to walk in the world in such a way that the world walks. You're called to walk counter into, counter the way they do. Uh, verse 3 says this. It says, uh, for the time that is past suffices. I like the word suffices. It's, it, it almost appears saying, the way you used to live, it's enough. It's, have enough of your sin. It's, it's enough. Cease from it. So it means... When you see your sin, the time you used to live in the past, it should be enough. Our sin 
that we carry, that we, that we have done, that we used to do, we should, it should make us sick. Man, I, don't, I used to do that. We, we should be ashamed of how attractive we thought it was and now see how good Christ is. So we should have enough of sin. We should cut break, cut loose from sin. Uh, it looks like, again, like Moses, it looked like Egypt's worth it. It really looks like it, but he counted Christ there. He wanted to cease and go after that. Now those days are dead, they're buried. Um, Peter says we should not do what the Gentiles want to do. So Peter's not using some kind of slang and calling you a Gentile. What he's saying is Gentiles are those who are not of Israel, so they're not the people of God. So he's using the Old Testament language by saying if you're a Gentile, means you're not a Christian. That's what, that's what he's trying to say. That's the idea there. So we see again this a first contrast between the flesh and God's will, and now we see the contrast between the will of the world and the will of God. Uh, because of the cross, so you're in, because of the cross, you're no longer a Gentile. You're, uh, chapter two, verse ten of First Peter says you used to be not a people, and now you're a people of God. Once you didn't have mercy, now you've received mercy. So you've gone from a stranger to God to a stranger of the world because you don't belong in the world anymore. Now you have Christ. Now you have God. But the the problem is, is too often as Christians and myself is extremely included, we get kind of slowly mesmerized by the world, we kind of get lulled to sleep. And we see sin and we go, I mean, it's, it's not all that bad. There's some things that aren't that bad. You know, or we slowly begin to fudge on certain things like I do. We slowly begin to say, well, it's, it's not all bad. There, there are things that aren't terrible. And we need to remember to look to Christ, to the, the greater pleasure. Even though it's easy to slip into that, we need to look to Christ. Uh, Romans 6 again says this, How can we who are dead to sin still live in it? How do you... How do you live in what you're dead in? And that's what Paul's getting at. So we know that the sin is empty deceit. We know it's just bait covering a hook that leads us to death. We know that. So we need to pray, God, help me to trust your word. Help, help me to be faithful. Help me to know that you are good. Um, we, we too often, I've heard before, we, we act like a, a kid holding a stick of dynamite that's lit. And we're too obsessed with the sparkle. Man, that sparkle's pretty though. But it's going to blow up. So throw, throw it away, toss it away. It looks attractive, but get rid of it. It leads to death. And Peter's saying, don't, don't follow the world. Don't do what they do. Uh, that, that time is enough. It's past. It, it's, it's suffice. Then in verse 4, he says this. With respect to this, so I won't go through all those sins because they're clear to find what they are. With respect to those things, they, the Gentiles, people who are unchristians or unbelievers, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. And so I think you can kind of think about this way. If the word of the cross is foolishness, as, as that guy wrote to the people, these Christians are weird. They're just ex- excessive superstition. They can't do anything. They can't lie. They can't do anything. Um, they're surprised. Why can't you just lie? Why can't you just eat that? Why can't you just do this? It's, it's surprising to non-Christians. Um, we are strangers here. We are citizens of another world, as Peter says. Um, so as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised that we are going to be called a bigot for certain things, that we're going to be called narrow-minded, that we're going to be called goody-two-shoes or repulsive or whatever you want to put in. They're surprised, but we, we shouldn't be surprised. We don't, we don't fit the mold. Christians don't fit the model. Because we see, again, we see Christ as greater wealth. We see Egypt is like the world. It, it looks good, but it's just bait. It just damns. It doesn't do anything pleasurable. This kind of thinking is only what the power of God can do, only what the Spirit of God can do in 
imparting us a new nature and a new heart within the sinner. So with that, we invite sinners, come, come, come to Christ, come be saved, come see that he pays for your sins, see him as good, see him as beautiful, and that's, we invite sinners to come to that. That there really is pleasure in Christ, that's not just silly obedience, it's pleasurable, it's good, it's worthwhile. I think Peter's. it's interesting to know, he calls it the flood of debauchery, so again, kind of like the Noah language, it just sweeps, it's everywhere, it's all-consuming. And I think, I think the problem is we, myself too. I don't see it as a flood. I see it as kind of like a really calm water. And it's not that bad. I can get in that. I could float right in the water. It's, you know, it's not. It's not a scary flood. It's, just, it's a stream. Um, but it's carrying them away to their death. It's going to sweep them away. They don't know how it, how scary and how fearful they should be. Uh, they don't know. They reject life for a second death. That, that's what non Christians do. They partake in debauchery and. Sin and idolatry, the Bible says, for, for, for death. That, that's the exchange. So, Christian, when you're maligned, when you're mocked, as Peter just says, trust Christ. Um, it says here that they will malign you just as they maligned Christ when he was on the cross. He prayed, Father, they don't even know what they're doing. We need to think the same way. So, when we're maligned, when we're picked on, when we're called a bigot or called narrow minded we need to understand yes it, 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 it's going to anger you it's going to frustrate you but also know they are just lost they have no idea what they're doing they are so sick with sin they are they think it's good so they don't get it so we need to pray that God would say that he would change hearts in hopes that they would see that Christ is of greater well that's what we need to do so we've gone from strangers to the world to strangers or strangers to God to strangers of the world to in the world, to in Christ, and that's, that's only because of God's mercy to us, not because of anything we've done. So we need to count Christ as greater than the world and understand that His, his will, His way, His desires, it's just better. Even though it's tempting to, to, to reject it, it's better. We need to pray that God would help us to believe, help us to remember, help us to trust, to consider Christ. That though the world looks sweet, it's, it's bitter, it's, it's coated, it's, it's cheap. So may we, may with new eyes and new affections, see Christ as better and see the world as folly. So now Peter takes us from the world um, now to our new destiny, to our, uh, to our standing with God, to the judgment day that God has. Uh, verse 5, so he just said, and they will malign you. And then there's the word but we see. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So as Christians, I think we, me in particular, so I'm in the camp too, I sometimes feel maybe fearful or awkward or even embarrassed to talk about God's judgment. Like, well, you know, yeah, God's going to judge you. But we don't want to say it out loud because people might get offended. It's, we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about it. I, it's uncomfortable. I, I don't think it's wrong to uh, maybe want to word it correctly. But we do need to understand the Bible just brought it up again. Peter's not ashamed of bringing up judgment, so it's okay to understand that God's justice towards criminals, God's wrath, which is his anger towards our sin, it's not to be ashamed of. It, it's good. It's good that God is those things. If we shouldn't shy from it or cringe, I think we should speak of it well and gently, but we shouldn't we should be ashamed of it. Um, it's inspired scripture just as much as the good stuff is, right? Good stuff as in the things we like. So as Christians here, and again, in the context of this letter, are being torn to shreds, they're being hunted down, they're being beaten, maligned, imprisoned, tortured according to the letter we just read. Peter reminds them that they will give an account. So those who do those things will give an account. Uh, there's a, a fact that I'm pretty sure still stands. 
uh, that 10 out of 10 people will die. Pretty sure I'm right on that. And it also means that 10 out of 10 people will stand before God and give an account. That's also the, the fact that, has, that remains true. So for those who are in Christ, you need to fear judgment. You will pass from death to life, Jesus says. You will stand in front of God with his son's credit on your account, and you'll look as if he always obeyed. And he'll say, well done, and he rewards you for your obedience. And that's, that's, that's the Christian's joys. Our, our destinies change. We're in Christ. We have nothing to fear, no judgment to fear about. Um, death is a doorway to our, to our joy. It's just what it is. We're acquitted. Our trial is, is, is okay. But for those who are not in Christ, Peter says that they will give an account. Uh, the book of Revelation talks about the great white throne in chapter 20. It says those who are not in the land's book of life, they will stand and give an account for every idle word, everything they've done, Jesus says, everything that they've ever said, thought, or done, they will stand and give an account. It's not an account of wagering how good or how bad they are. It is an account of this is what you've done, this is what you're going to get. So it is the account that they will give is, is going to be their damnation. God's going to give them justice. The criminal will be punished. And God is good. So in this context, judgment here, in a sense, is meant to comfort you. Christian, if you're suffering, if you're sorrowful because of those who are attacking. Evil done to you, whether small or great, whether you even recognize it or it's hidden, God has seen and will deal with it. I think in the news we see all these horrific things that God, God's going God's to get them. He is. He's not blind. He's not slow to justice. He's patient with them that they will repent, but he's, God will come through. He is good. Justice will be taken care of. All of it will be made right. Uh, I've heard said before that the biggest fear is that God is good. What that means is that since God is so good, He's going to judge really good. All evil will be done. He won't be bribed by any good acts. We, we bellow out to Him. He won't be bribed. Romans twelve nineteen says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So God will deal with it. He will take care of it. We need to trust Him with that. God's justice will prevail. He will make all, He'll deal with all wrongs, make all things right. Um, how comforting is that? When we are blind, that God saw it. He's not just waiting. He's He's taking over. He's good. He's He's for us. He's going to deal with it. Christian, he, he, your your God loves you. He protects you. He will handle you. He will deliver you safely from the floods. But also, this should give us just another understanding of the fear for the sinner. That they, they though they malign us, God's going to get them. So we understand that our endurance also is for their good, that they, that they may see Christ and not just, yeah, God's going to get you. It's God's going to get you. Do you see what you're doing? Do you see Christ? We need to understand that when we suffer, we don't just endure for the sake of Christ, but we endure and speak for the sake of those who don't know Him. That they would see that judgment's coming, that it will happen, and we trust God. We point them to Christ. Run to the refuge, run to the Son, and rest in Him. Turn from your sins. Then verse 6, Peter ends by saying this. For, because, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So picture this. Picture all this letter, all this text we just hit in this chapter. Uh, you turn from your flesh. You don't want to commit sin. You hate your sin. It's hard, but you hate it. Uh, you don't want to walk in the way of the world because it looks tantalizing. You don't look good, but you don't want to do it because Christ is better treasure. And the world's going to look to you and say, so you don't want to just get drunk. You think that's, you think that's fun? You, you want to save yourself till marriage? That's really foolish of you. Purity's good, huh? 
You would rather trust a book that's thousands of years old than do what you want to have fun. That's, that's the Milani that we're going to face. That's, that, that, that's what you hear. That, that's what you understand. And then you, you probably picture a laugh. like. <laughs> but what's funny is you're going to die like all of us. So that's how the world thinks. That's how they understand. So therefore, eat, drink, be merry, do what you want. Enjoy your while it lasts. But look at verse 6. This is the assurance that Christian has. Though judged in the flesh the way people are, so even though 10 out of 10 people die, we all die, there's a difference. Christians don't die the same way. Yes, we die. We're, we, we have the same kind of funeral, probably. Same coffin, maybe. Same manufacturer. Same ground we're in. But the, the end result is much different. Christians look foolish. It looks like we're wasting our time. It looks like we're wasting our life. But we're actually living for the reward to come. We see Christ is greater because of the reward because we get to live the way God does, is what Peter just said. That we might live in the spirit the way God does. So only those in Christ will live the way he does. There's a second death and an everlasting life. Those who are not in Christ get another death. They die forever. They suffer eternally, eternal justice. But those in Christ get to live the way God does. In case you're curious, the way God lives is pretty good. It's joy, it's mercy, it's goodness, it's everlasting life. That's what the Christian gets. So this, again, should conjure up a little bit of weightiness for judgment for those who don't know Christ. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of those who don't know Christ, to fall into the hands of God who don't know Him. But how sweet will our deliverance be from the world when we understand that it's been worth it, that God did not lie, He did not dismay, He wasn't wasting His time, we didn't waste our time by obedience, it really was worth it, the reward is better, Jesus is good, He is kind, and He's our, he's our treasure. He saved us not because of the things that we've done, but because of the thing that He did, which is His life. He keeps us. He brings us safely home. So this is the reward that we get. We fight our flesh. We walk contrary to the world. And we endure the malign because of the reward that Christ gives. It, it's worth it in the end. It looks like it's not. It looks like it's folly. It's worth it. So endure. Christ is better than sin. He is better than the world. He's better than six feet under. It looks like the hope is gone. So in your battle with sin day by day, and you're fighting with the world's ways and vocabulary and things that you want, they want you to change. And the fear of judgment that we're all going to die, Christ, you, Christian, you will be good. Nothing to worry about. Jesus is better. Be obedient. Have the mind of Christ. So until the day we die, or until Christ comes back, we endure. We consider Him as greater wealth. We arm ourselves with the same way He thought. We consider obedience better than the fleeting pleasure of sin. God, we thank you for your word. Father, help us to help us to believe this. God, it's in your word. We believe it, but God, help us to believe it more. Help us to know that Jesus is better, that there is delight in obedience, that it's good, that it's, it brings joy, that there's reward, um, and that you, you care about us, that you bring us through. God, help us to see sin as it really is, as deceitful, as empty. Um, help us to remain obedient. Uh, keep us, God, keep us in your in your son. And God, for those who don't know you, who malign, who um, who we're around, who just think we're foolish, God, help us to speak to them the gospel well, um, carrying in the thought that they will face you and that the judgment's real. God, help us to trust you. Um, we thank you for being good and all you do. God, we love you. Thank you for your son. Since then we pray. Amen.